If you're here last week, uh, you came back. That's good. <laughs> uh, if you weren't here last week, you may not be aware uh, that we're spending a few weeks talking about money. So now's the time when I give you a second to get up and go to the bathroom if you all of a sudden feel the urge. I guess this is an uncomfortable conversation. I get it. Um, but we need to talk about money and we need to do it for a couple reasons. So let me pray for us and we will get started. Father, grateful that you've called your family home, that you bring us together right now in this place, brothers and sisters sitting at the foot of the cross, remembering the good news of what Jesus has done so that we can be brothers and sisters and call ourselves your children. And I'm reflecting on the fact that just right now and then the rest of the day, hour by hour by hour by hour, as the globe turns, as the time changes, Christians will continue to gather all throughout the day to do this very thing, to be reminded of who you are and what you've done so that we can go out in the world each and every day and put that good news to practice. So be present with us this morning. Open our minds, our eyes, our ears, our hearts so we can receive it. Help us use our hands and our feet and our words when we leave this place to proclaim the hope that we find here in the scriptures. And we pray all this in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. amen. So it is an uncomfortable conversation, but we need to have it for a couple reasons. The first reason is just really practical. Uh, staff and leadership, we need to begin creating a budget for the next fiscal year. And it's just really helpful when you plan, when you share with us your plans for giving. Like, just like any family, our job, our responsibility is to create a budget and to stick to it. And we are way more successful at that when we have at least an idea of what we have to work with, right? Like, you plan your family budget based on your expected income for the year. It's no different for us. So that's the first really practical reason why we have this conversation this time of year. But there's a deeper reason. There's a more fundamental issue at stake when we talk about money in the church. We have to talk about money in the church as a church if we're going to be true to our mission, if we're going to be disciples of Jesus who make disciples of Jesus. Because a disciple of Jesus is someone who day by day is giving over every part of their life to Jesus, making him king, seating him on the throne of every single part of our life. And this means, yes, Jesus wants your money. <laughs> I say firmly and you receive awkwardly. <laughs> Jesus wants your money. Not because he needs your money, but because he has given all of himself to you and he wants all of you in return. Jesus wants to be your ultimate treasure because you are his. And he has done everything that needs to be done to prove that to you. So that's why we need to have this conversation. Last week, uh, we started by reading 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and 9. Uh, in those two chapters, Paul is writing to the church in Corinth and he's reminding them that they made a promise to take up a collection to address the needs of the poor in the church in Jerusalem. They made a pledge. So Paul is asking them to keep it. Like he and the apostles, they saw this as an opportunity to unify the whole church no matter where they were. Whether they were in Israel, whether they're in Greece, whether they're in Asia Minor, modern day Turkey, Jewish, Gentile, Christians alike. Unite them by giving them the opportunity to support one another, in particular, 
their brothers and sisters in Jerusalem. One church in particular in Northern Greece, the church in Macedonia, 2 Corinthians 8 and 9 tells us that they were thrilled, they were thrilled to be given the opportunity to give to this project. They joyfully collected their gift because they saw it in their words as an opportunity to participate in the grace of Jesus. They knew it wasn't about their money, it was about grace. Now what's remarkable is that that church was as poor and as persecuted as the church in Jerusalem was. They had every right to ask for a collection on their behalf. Even still, they said they were blessed by the opportunity to participate participate in collecting this offering and Paul tells us that they gave beyond their means. A poor, persecuted church with scarce resources, blessed by the opportunity to give abundantly to their brothers and sisters in need. And those two words are gonna be our focus for today. Scarce and abundant. Or as someone on staff said the other day, poverty or provision. Because even in their poverty, the Macedonian church trusted that God was a God of provision. Even when their resources were scarce, they worshiped and trusted a God of abundance and they gave freely. So the question is, do we? Do we trust that God will provide? Do we live and give freely with a mindset of abundance? (laughs) You laugh, but wait for it. (laughs) You know what's coming. Or are we enslaved by a mindset of scarcity? How silly was that? There were reasons. But I'm telling you, those two pictures from three years ago, they say a thousand words about our culture and whether we believe in scarcity or abundance. So today, as always, we're gonna read a lot of scripture. We're gonna start with a text that we read a little bit last week. This is from Matthew 6. Again, the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, don't store up treasures here on earth where moths eat and rust destroys and where thieves break in and steal. Store up your treasures in heaven where moth and rust cannot destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal. Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. He goes on to say, your eye is like a lamp that provides light for your body. Like we often think of eyes as things we see out. He's talking about eyes as a receiver, right? We receive light in. When the eye is healthy, your whole body is filled with light. But when your eye is unhealthy, your whole body is filled with darkness. And if the light you think you have is actually darkness, how deep that darkness is. Those two verses seem like they don't fit, but I'm telling you, they're the key to understanding this whole section in the Sermon on the Mount. He goes on to say, no one can serve two masters, for you will hate one and love the other. You'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. Some translations, if you're familiar with the King James or the New King James, it says you cannot serve both God and mammon. Uh, Mammon, it's a weird word. It's a literal translation of the Greek. 
but most translations use money or wealth. Um, this is from a scholar named N.T. Wright. He says this. He says, Mammon was a way of referring to property and wealth in general, almost as though it were a god, which is precisely Jesus' point. We make the same point by saying things like the almighty dollar, dangerously close to almighty God. What Jesus is saying is that money gives us orders. Money bosses us around. Like these six verses are making one simple point. Turn your eyes to God in the person of Jesus. Let that light in so that you're not living in the darkness because the thing that occupies your vision, the thing that you desire, the thing that fills up your eyes and makes its way to your heart, it will become your master. Whatever that thing is, eventually it will own you. And a slave can only be the property of one master. Y'all, Jesus is just trying to help us see that if we allow ourselves to be enslaved by the world, to be enslaved by money, it's actually a brutal master. Like we might think we're tightening our grip on it, but it's actually tightening its grip on us. And not only that, but he says that our service to money and power and the things of this world, eventually it's gonna lead us to hate the only master who's not tightening our chains, but breaking them. Only Jesus is a worthy master because he's the only master that sets his people free. Now, we may not think that we're slaves to money and power and the things of this world. That's strong language. Maybe we're not. But do you realize that Jesus speaks about money 10 times for every one time he speaks about sexual immorality? And don't misunderstand, that's not because sexual immorality is not a big deal. It's a very big deal. But there's a reason. One of those sins, you know it when you're doing it. <laughs> right? Like, you know when you're committing adultery. But what Jesus is saying, the reason he talks about money so often is because our enslavement to money, we don't always see it. We can be blind to it. That's why those two verses, verse 22 and 23, they tell us, open our eyes, let the light in, so we can see the world the way Jesus sees the world. Tim Keller tells a story, he did a series on the seven deadly sins, and he actually did it at a college. Um, one sin per week. You might be surprised to find out it was really well attended. <laughs> like, these college kids, they came, they were ready to talk about their pride, their envy, their lust, their anger, their gluttony. He said he was even surprised that they showed up on time to wrestle with sloth. <laughs> but you know which week was by far the least attended? By half. It's the week on greed. And do you know why? It's because nobody thinks they're greedy. We can't see it. We're blind to it. We don't think it's us. And y'all, I'm telling you, this becomes a little more obvious on Sundays when we talk about money. Like, think about this. Christianity is the call to take up your cross, to follow Jesus, to come and die so that we may find new life in him. Y'all, we sing this, we pray this, we preach it every week. You hear it and you receive it without hesitation. 
But five minutes ago, when I said, Jesus wants your money, how did you feel? How did I feel? (laughs) Y'all, he's just inviting us to open our eyes. No guilt, no shame. Open our eyes, recognize, and just confess our relationship with stuff as compared to our relationship with him. Amen? You guys wish I was done, but I'm not. (laughs) Let's keep going. (laughs) Back to Matthew 6, verse 25. Uh, well, 24 again, really quick. No one can serve two masters, for you, you will hate one and love the other. You'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. That is why I tell you, do not worry about your life, whether you will have enough food and drink, enough clothes to wear, because isn't life more than food and your body more than clothing? Look at the birds. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns, for your heavenly father feeds them. And aren't you more valuable to him than they are? Can all your worries add a single moment to your life? For time, I'm gonna skip the part about flowers and clothing. He goes on to verse 31. He says, so don't worry about these things, saying what will we eat, what will we drink, and what will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers, but your heavenly father already knows all your needs. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously and he will give you everything you need. So don't worry about tomorrow for tomorrow will bring its own worries. Today's trouble is enough for today. Amen to that, right? But what about the rest of it? Like, don't you kind of want to say like, okay, Jesus. (laughs) But look, we live in a really stressful place. We live in a world filled with fear and anxiety. We're constantly focused on and worried about what tomorrow will bring. Like Jesus, we're rarely present. We're rarely present in the present. We're always caught up in regrets from the past and worries about the future. What's he, what's he saying? I took care of the past, trust me with the future, right? Go back to the day Jesus first said these words, consider the context then. He wasn't talking to a crowd that was worried about whether their paycheck would last another 10 days or about the ups and downs of the market. Like, what were they worried about? Have we caught enough fish to eat? Have we harvested enough grain to take to the market so that we can feed and clothe our families today? And to that crowd 2,000 years ago, most of whom living day to day, To us today, whether we're living paycheck to paycheck or whether we're paying close attention to market trends, Jesus says the same exact thing. Don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow has enough troubles of its own. Like it is a bold thing to say, but I'm telling you it's not crazy. It sounds idealistic and crazy, but it's not. See, you have to notice what Jesus doesn't say. He doesn't say, don't work. He doesn't say don't save. He doesn't say don't plan and don't prepare. He never says don't work. What does he say? Don't worry. There are enough troubles to work through right now. So don't be distracted or worried about what might happen tomorrow. You have no idea what tomorrow will bring. You have no idea if tomorrow will even come. So focus and open your eyes to the one who does. 
Make him the center of your attention and then work and prepare for what's coming at you today. One author says it like this. He says, birds, they expend their energy doing what's natural. They build nests, they collect food for their young, but it's God who actually feeds and clothes them. The point is that when Jesus' disciples are responsible to carry out the proper way of life as ordained by God, God is faithful to carry out his end of the order. Like throughout scripture, God has always expected responsible stewardship of resources so that our daily needs can be cared for. Like significant parts of God's law regulate life so that there would not just be enough, but that there would be abundance. Like abundance for the people to enjoy for themselves, abundance so that they can share with others and abundance so that they can offer it back to God. Paul writes this in 1 Thessalonians 4. He says, make it your goal to live a quiet life, minding your own business. You know anybody who needs to hear that? (laughs) Make it your goal to live a quiet life, minding your own business and working with your hands just as we instructed you. Then people who are not believers will respect the way you live and you will not need to depend on others. Proverbs 31 paints the picture of a virtuous woman who is active and wise in the marketplace. She's a businesswoman. Jesus teaches the parable of the tenants in Matthew 25, a parable about wise business practices and good banking practice. Like scripture is reminding us that we can't see the future, but God can. So it's wise in life and in the marketplace, just seek God's will. Do your work. Trust him with tomorrow. Jesus didn't say don't work. He just said don't worry. Easy enough? (laughs) No. There's a devotional uh, on the 23rd Psalm that Max Lucado wrote. It's called Traveling Light. Maybe some of you have read it. He has a chapter in there called What Ifs and Howls, The Burlap Bag of Worry. It's weird. He says this. Uh, what if, after all my dieting, I find out lettuce is fattening and chocolate isn't? (laughs) But more seriously, how will we pay for our kids' tuition? So he goes on to write this. He says, God will help you deal with the hard thing when the time comes. And this is the hard thing I'm about to say, but I'm just quoting him. He says, you might say, I don't know what I'll do if my spouse dies. You will when the time comes. When my children leave the house, I don't think I'll be able to take it. It won't be easy, but the strength will arrive when the time comes. He writes this. He says, meet today's problems with today's strength. Don't start tackling tomorrow's problems till tomorrow because you don't have tomorrow's strength yet. You simply have enough for today. But y'all, trusting is hard. Trusting in Jesus is hard. So what we tend to do is we turn to the easier solution. Rather than trusting God to meet our needs and give us the strength we need when we need it, we set ourselves up to become slaves 
slaves of a mindset that is convincing us that ours is a world of scarcity and not abundance. And then that leads us to fight for and cling to whatever we can find just in case that thing might help us tackle the problems of tomorrow which we don't know. Jesus, he wants to show us there's another way. Like when Jesus delivered the Sermon on the Mount, when he said what he said about worry, worries and about birds and about flowers, he wasn't being idealistic. He was articulating a particular mindset, a specific way of looking at the world, a way that's really become foreign to us today. Jesus had a mindset that trusted in God's provision. Jesus saw the world as a world full of abundance, a world where it's like a gracious God has thrown a party and we're all invited and there's plenty of drinks and appetizers to go around. How awkward is it when somebody's walking around putting the appetizers in their pockets? <laughs> there's enough. As we always do, go back to the beginning. Go back to Genesis 1 and 2. The story of the Bible begins with God taking scarcity, like literal scarcity, nothing. And out of it comes what? Everything, abundance. God brings abundance out of scarcity. That is the story of scripture. In God's economy, he's the giver, he's the provider, and there is always enough. In God's economy, there will always be enough. That's Genesis one and two. The problem is the story doesn't stop there. And we tend to be a people of Genesis three. God brings abundance out of scarcity. We create scarcity out of abundance. There's something I found, I thought this was helpful. I'm sure there are many other reasons, but just five reasons why we accumulate and store up for ourselves that, that actually, they're actually lies of the enemy. Like they'll sound reasonable to you at first, but when you think about it and when you see where it leads, it only leads step by step progressively away from God. So like, I'm gonna walk through these five things really quick and I just want you to notice how one progresses to the other until eventually we're, we're really far from where God wants us to be. Um, it starts with security. It's the first reason we store up. What brings us the easiest security in this life is material security. Now there's nothing wrong with seeking security. Like, hear me say that. There's nothing wrong with seeking security. You could consider that responsible planning even when we have faith and trust in God. Question is, how much is enough? How much is enough to keep you secure? And is total security even possible? This leads to the next one. We store up treasures to build personal worth, self-esteem, our own value, material possessions and wealth. Sometimes they can indicate that we've been successful in what we've done with our lives. And they can start to make us feel really good about ourselves if we dress and drive and dine and decorate well. And listen, it's not wrong to enjoy nice things. Not at all. But how much is enough? And does stuff make you valuable and worthy? Does it really even make you feel valuable and worthy or is it a lie? This can lead us to storing up treasure to build power. Like with wealth and material success, we believe that we can have and get and be what we want, 
Wealth gives us control over our own fate, but also over other people. The question is, how much is enough? How much power is enough? And am I really responsible to exercise that much power over others? This how much is enough question has an obvious answer, right? Like left to our own devices, it's never enough. But the question alone helps us to see this slippery slope and it leads to the final two reasons that we tend to store up for ourselves. It's so that we can live a life of pleasure. And not that there's anything wrong with being happy and doing things we enjoy. But with wealth and material success, we can indulge our every fantasy. How much pleasure is enough? Is it even good? Is it even good for me to get and do everything that I want? A lot of people are worried, especially in modern times, about uh, whether George Orwell's 1984 was prophetic and becoming a reality. You know, Big Brother controlling our every move. And like, you know, maybe there's reason to worry about that a little bit. Uh, but there's another book we need to be reading, and it's Aldous Huxley's Brave New World. Because in a brave new world, it's the same kind of control, it's the same dehumanizing control, but how is it done? By feeding pleasure. By feeding our every whim. By giving us more pleasure than we know what to do with. Making us numb and dehumanized in the process. And the final reason, building up stuff allows us to establish independence. And with wealth and material success, I no longer have to reply on anyone else at the first level, nothing wrong with that, but where does that lead? Eventually, I don't even need God. I am my own God. Like, do you see how it, it can start by storing up for good reasons, right? Nothing to be worried about. But can you see how if we're not paying attention, if our eyes aren't opened, we're quickly just making excuses because now we're worshiping the idols of personal pleasure and independence from God. And maybe we don't even realize it. This is not about guilt or shame. Jesus is just saying, open your eyes and ask yourself the question, what is your relationship with your stuff and how does it compare to your relationship with me? Now the good news is that Jesus' death and resurrection saves us from our idolatry. And not only that, but it paves the way for us to be citizens of a kingdom of abundance and provision now extending into forever. Jesus called it the kingdom of God. He embodied that kingdom life. His life put that mindset on display. Jesus lived in the abundance of God's creation. Think about this. Jesus lived in the abundance of God's creation, trusted in the provision of his good father, even though he as a man basically had nothing to his name. How is that possible? Jesus saw the world through a set of lenses that were colored by and rooted in his prayer life, his connection to his father, and by his understanding of scripture. And by the Psalms in particular. As we finish, I'm almost done. I wanna read you just a little section from Psalm 104. He sends forth springs of water through the valleys. They flow between the mountains. They give drink to every animal of the field. The wild donkeys quench their thirst. Who cares about wild donkeys? God does. 
The birds of the sky dwell beside them. They lift up their voices from among the branches. He waters the mountains from his upper chambers. The earth is satisfied with the fruit of his works. He causes the grass to grow for the cattle and vegetation for the work of humans so that they may produce food from the earth and wine, which makes the human heart cheerful. Can I get an amen? Amen. So that he makes his face gleam with oil and food, which strengthens the human heart. The trees of the Lord drink their fill, the cedars of Lebanon, which he planted, where the birds build their nest and the stork whose home is the juniper tree. That psalm is a commentary on Genesis 1 and 2. And you can't read the Sermon on the Mount without knowing that Jesus had this psalm in mind. Like we need to read and pray the psalms that Jesus read and prayed because they will change the way we think. The poetry and the beauty of the psalms remind us of the proper order of things. When everything works as God created it to work, guess what? Everything works. (laughs) And there will always be enough. So listen, nothing that I've said today is meant to vilify money or success or enjoying nice things. I told a retired man on Thursday, I had the most amazing filet the other night at Rafa's that I've had in my entire life. Loved it. Gave God the glory for it, for the cow and the chef. <laughs> and none of this is meant to vilify anybody here. Like we are God's children. And if we want the best for our own kids, how much more must God want for us? And when they're used for his kingdom purposes, our resources are gifts that God will use to bring abundance out of scarcity and provision out of poverty. It's just when they're used for selfish ambition, that's when they become idols. That's when what was once abundant is now scarce. So the question is, do you live in a world of poverty or in a world of provision? Do you have a mindset of scarcity or do you have a mindset of abundance? Jesus is just inviting us to ask this question to answer it honestly, to reflect on it and then open our eyes to the truth because our answers to these questions determine what we do with our stuff no matter how much or how little we have. And then the call to discipleship is to surrender it all to Jesus and he'll take it one step at a time. So last week I gave you an assignment. I told you to read 2 Corinthians 8 and 9 every day, every day of the week, once a day, every day of the week. Uh, Many of you have done it. You've written me. You've given me some notes, which I love. Keep it coming. But you have to keep reading. You have a new assignment for this week. You guys ready? No? Are you ready? Like, you need to do this work because I'm telling you, you need to be ready for next week. (laughs) Okay? Like, you need to be ready. So here's what you're going to do. You're going to read Genesis 1 and 2 and Psalm 104. It's less than three pages of the Bible in total. Read Genesis 1 and 2 and Psalm 104 once a day every day. And then I just want you to say to God in an honest and humble prayer, are you a God of poverty or provision? And do I live in a world of scarcity or abundance? And actually, I thought about this in the last service after I'd already made that slide. Uh, Sandwich the reading with that prayer, right? When you sit down to read, the first thing you should do is pray that prayer. Ask God, are you a God of poverty or provision? And do I live in a world of scarcity or abundance? Then read Genesis 1 and 2, Psalm 104, and then pray that prayer again. If you'll do it every day for this week, you'll at least be more ready for what's coming next week than you are today. (laughs)
I'm telling you. I told the 930 service, I gave him a heads up. Next week, there's good news. Next week, you're gonna hear the good news that 10% is not the number. The number's 100%. But come back, I promise. I'm not gonna tell you that we want 100% of your money. I promise. <laughs> come back, you'll see. Okay, let's pray. God, just so grateful. I'm grateful for a family that we can just have awkward and hard conversations together, but a family that, like we've been saying over the weeks, a family that's ready, like a family that's ready to gather here to worship, to love and care for one another, but also to go and do what you've called us to do. So just continue to equip us week by week. Give us the confidence and the courage that we can live the way Jesus lived, even though the world is the mess that it is. We pray all this in Jesus' name and all God's people said.